I like doing origin stories, meaning I love sharing how my script came to be. So today I'm going to highlight one of my main scripts called BTW I'm an Alien. And the origin of the story goes all the way back to 2019. But first, since I was six, I knew I wanted to be a writer. But I didn't feel like I would be good enough because I had dyslexia and I had learning difficulties. And also just a ridiculously abusive and neglectful upbringing. So I struggled not just with self-esteem, but actually the skill to do it. So I procrastinated and it started to fester in my soul. I was angry with myself every single year that I didn't write. And then in 2019, I was like, I've had it. I'm going to write. I'm going to learn and be disciplined enough to really develop and master the craft of screenplay storytelling so that I can get these stories out of my head and feel like I've accomplished one of my main goals in life. So it was June in 2019 that I really started writing. And one of the scripts that had been in my head since 2010 was one of the main stories I was writing out because I hadn't written anything about it. Some of my other stories I adapted um, from short stories or um, Karmic Bait was the longest story I wrote that was kind of in a screenplay format, more so like a playwright format. Um, so the most work came with writing Ghostly Ghoul Family at that time. And so I was writing a scene for Ghostly Ghoul Family and the main characters, which is Sumia and Kit, all of a sudden a scene popped into my head about them. And I'm used to daydreaming my scripts. But normally it's a little bit more linear. This scene had nothing to do with what I was focused on. But here's what happened. Sumia and Kit were sitting next to each other. And I noticed that in the vision, the lighting was dim. And all of a sudden I was aware of an audience. And I realized they're being interviewed on like a late night show. And then all of a sudden the scene kind of changed its POV. It scaled back and then above them. And I noticed that they were being interviewed by Trevor Noah. And I thought that was really strange because I'd never watched the show. I didn't know much about him. But it was a funny scene in that, oh God, I never wrote the scene because it's a little bit sexual. But in the scene, Trevor Noah was teasing the couple because they were using their own app to <laughs> do subscriber wars where Kit subscribers were trying to make a bet on Sumia losing and if she lost, she had to do some sexual act and vice versa if he lost. Her subscribers would choose a sexual act for him. They wouldn't film it. It wasn't like OnlyFans, but it was just something that was funny and entertaining for their followers. 
And I remember hearing the laughter of the audience, um, but I don't remember exactly the back and forth, like the exact wording of what he was saying to them. Um, so I was like, hmm, that's weird. <laughs> and literally a few seconds after that, the following idea popped into my hand, my head, not my hand. And it was, what would Trevor Noah's life be like if he were married to an alien in a parallel life? That was it. And I was like, huh. My mind nibbled on that because I had never thought about that ever, about anyone. But it was late at night, so I closed my laptop, I turned off the light, and I went to bed. But I dreamed on that thought. And when I woke up, it was the predominant idea on my mind. So much so that I could not focus on Ghostly Gold Family anymore. I tried to write it again, but I couldn't. So I made the agreement with myself. I said, all right, just to get this story out of my head, I'm going to write it as a short, and then I'm going to refocus on Ghostly Ghoul Family, because I was so determined to finish that story. So that's what I did. And this was October 29th, 2019, where I first had the idea. And then I really started researching Trevor Noah and writing it out in November of 2019. So I didn't know barely anything about Trevor Noah. I knew he took over for Jon Stewart, but, oh God. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say this, but... So I remember I went to have lunch with a friend. And I was complaining... No, no, no. She was complaining about Black Lives Matter as if that had any validity to me and this was in 2015 this was a while ago um like she was critiquing them and I was just like I'm not interested in this conversation and then and she's a half white half first nations person so she felt like because she was a minority that she could broach the subject with me but anyway um I was talking about news and how she might be getting her news from a place that was not really giving um, appropriate, or not appropriate, but accurate information, um, because she was just regurgitating it like no thought. She, it sounded like she was just reciting what somebody else had said. And so I, I said something like John Stewart, but then I was like, ah, oh, but we need a younger person now. Um, and she's like, oh, there is a younger person. I was like, no, no, no. Um, he's still old. Because I knew that John Stewart was leaving, but I thought Larry Whitmore was taking over for him. I don't know how, why I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I heard a black person's taking over for The Daily Show and Larry Whitmore was the only black person I had seen in little clips or even thumbnails that came up on YouTube. And so I thought it was Larry Whitmore. And then she was like, no, no, no. He, and then we went on to another conversation. So we both were very ignorant <laughs> in that conversation. But it just kind of annoyed me that I felt like I didn't know what I was talking about because of her expression and, and reaction. So I Googled later on, and there Trevor Noah was. I was like, oh, that's not Larry Whitmore. And then I heard his voice, and I was like, oh, he's European. And I'm tired. And this, again, was in 2015, and I'm a black American, so this comes from... Um, a place of cultural conviction. 
um, in, the, in the black community in the US, there's a belief and experience of white people scapegoating, um, addressing and lifting up the descendants of slaves by bringing an immigrant over who didn't suffer or their, their, um, their lineage is not the same. So instead of actually making reparations for their ancestors that they're a descendant from, they scapegoat and I'm like, oh, here's a dark-skinned person. We're giving them a platform. We're doing the right thing. But it's seen as a slight to us because we feel like they're replacing us with an African, with a European, with a Jamaican, whatever it is. And that's why there's still this huge backlash when a European or somebody else plays uh, a black American um, heroine, hero. Like, um, I think it happened with Aretha Franklin. Um, I'm trying to remember who else. Oh, I'm not remembering right now, but it's happened a lot where there's a lot of, you know, people, black Twitter, there's a lot of uproar when we feel like the actor or actress that's playing someone is not really culturally relevant to the role. So I was like, this again. <laughs> and I didn't pay attention to anything else. And it's not really... It wasn't like I watched The Daily Show and then I was like, ah, oh, Trevor Noah's taking over. I'm not going to watch it. I never watched The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. I mean, it was on in the house when I was growing up and I would sit down and watch it, but then it would give me headaches, um, like the correspondence skits. But this happened to me a lot. And it's just because, um, like I said, I had some learning difficulties. And the same thing happened with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I couldn't watch it. Because uh, I got headaches and it, it just didn't make sense to me. So I never watched a full episode of Jon Stewart, uh, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, ever, um, except the final episode. And I'd seen like some clips from YouTube um, because I, I kind of, my ad entire adulthood, well not entire, but the majority of my adulthood has had YouTube. Um, like I think it started in like 2000. Five? I don't remember. But anyway, I just never really watched The Daily Show. And because I had gone to Canada for a long, long time, longer than I expected, I was there from 20, uh, 2008 to 2022. Um, but I went to Canada to get away from American politics. I hated listening to the news. I was trying to free myself from the insanity of what it is to be an American. So since I never watched it to begin with, I wasn't going to start watching it. And I was intentionally trying to avoid American news, even in conversations, I wouldn't talk about it. So I knew nothing <laughs> about Trevor Noah. But then I do remember the Jesse Smollett um, fiasco, I shared a clip from Trevor Noah talking about it. And that was the first time I remember seeing a skit or clip of his. And I don't remember how I found it. I Oh, I was just mad that I kept hearing alleged, alleged. I was like, why are they keep saying alleged? He obviously was, no, no. So obviously I was wrong. Um, but I started researching because I kept 
seeing on Facebook people saying allegedly, allegedly. So then I researched and then Trevor Noah's clip was there and I was like, oh. And I shared it because it, it was funny. <laughs> but I've always said that I hate comedy because it goes over my head. For one reason, I was homeschooled and like truly homeschooled. I was not allowed to have friends. Um, so I didn't get a lot of cultural and societal references. And then just because my brain is wired a little bit differently and I miss certain social cues, it goes over my head. So I don't enjoy it. People are like cracking up about things. I'm like, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> that's been a problem my entire life. People have said things to me and they're like, ha, 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 and I don't laugh and they're like, oh, she's so mean. But I really just don't get it. Um, I like comedy more now, but it's been something I've struggled with. Think of Data from Star Trek and how he struggled. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm an android, but um, he's been used as an example of people who are um, neurologically diverse or on the spectrum because they just don't get certain things. So think of me a little bit like that. I just didn't get a lot of the stuff. Um, so in 2019 in November, I started watching The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, watching his clips on YouTube, and I was like, it's funny. <laughs> and it was fun to write the short out. I think it was 20 or 25 pages. I was very proud of myself, and I sent it to like two competitions just to see how the industry was responding to my voice. And to my surprise, it placed in a competition as a quarter finalist in 2019, December, I believe. And I was like, oh, well, maybe there's something here. And then I got feedback from somebody else and they were praising it. I was like, oh, maybe I've got something here. But then I was focusing on my other scripts. 2020 rolled around, and as we all know, the pandemic hit. And the pandemic was harder than I've ever... Uh, even trying to talk about it is hard for me because... I've never experienced that level of anxiety in my entire life. I started to get phantom pain. Um, auditory hallucinations um not of like scary things of like voices but this weird i kept hearing that over and over again and it oh um it was not a good time for me so i started becoming irritable depressed um just shutting down and all of the tools and techniques that i've used throughout the years were not working meditation talking to my mentors, um, exercising, going on walks, talking to friends, um, paint therapy, journaling, audio journaling, none of it was working. Getting healing sessions from mentor, none of it was working. The only thing that worked was distracting myself from my neuroses by entertaining myself with how Trevor Noah might handle his fears coming true. And so when there was the lockdown and everyone was kind of like trapped inside, even before that, because I felt like it was going to be here for a while, 
I started shutting down like around February. Um, so when that started to happen, I didn't want to write my stories that are sad and scary. Ghostly Gold Family dealt with a very heavy subject, such as uh, residential schools, industrial schools, and the pain and abuse that mixed-race children, black children, and First Nations children suffered. And then one of my other stories that I was trying to complete, Conviviality's Curse, that dealt with the suicide, and all of my other stories were just very heavy emotionally. Because I'm not, I don't think of myself as a comedy writer because I don't generally get comedy. So this was the only comedic script that brought levity to my situation. I literally would laugh out loud at certain scenes. It was fun. It was a healthy distraction from my personal misery and my self-pity. Um, it brought me out of my funk so that I could really handle what was going on, process it, problem solve, understand it from a different point of view by changing the context. Basically, I was writing what I was experiencing into the story with a comedic slant and then an idea of how Trevor Noah would handle it and make it entertaining. So luckily for me, there was so much content that he's put out there. And so I wrote into the script that there is a parallel Trump <laughs> and how they would engage with each other in that parallel reality. Um, which to me, Trump was very uh, hard for me to deal with emotionally. So being able to laugh about it a little bit really helped me and also being able to kill a character off <laughs> I love that and I also like to like I like to challenge myself so I like the idea of challenging how someone thinks they are and their persona that they present to the public basically is being very, very loving, very accepting, very considerate, and trying to get other people to do the same. So I was taking that persona of Trevor Noah and being like, but would he really be that way if he found out abruptly that he had been married to an alien for years and had a hybrid daughter, and that his wife had essentially lied to him for years and was part of a conspiracy to hack the consciousnesses of humanity? Would he be like, oh, I still love you? No, I think he would have his breaking point. So I wrote <laughs> that into the script but also like his dedication to still being accepting that would override his judgments his love for his family would override his fears but I wanted to show him working through that and coming to that peaceful place so resting on that peaceful place at the end of the story gave me peace and I would have closure and respite from the ominous feeling of doom every day and so it really helped me but also just watching Trevor's content was fun and funny um, but then 2020 ended <laughs> it took 
actually, so I wrote th eight, wow, trying to figure this out correctly in my brain. I wrote eight episodes for season one. And then I wrote a second season. <laughs> so I essentially wrote a season and a half in 2020. And what happened was, I had to, so after I wrote some of the episodes and I had that closure, then, you know, there was still another day of lockdown and I had to keep coming up with ways to like keep it together and keep depression at bay. So I would give myself different tasks and challenges. I would say, how can I interweave his joke into an entire scene? How can I change around his joke to work differently in a different situation? How can I take what he shared about his life story and give commentary on what's going on in our world right now? How can I share my own personal struggles while still marrying it to the information that was on the web from Trevor Noah. That became so enticing and so enthralling to my brain that I would get completely lost in those concepts and challenges for weeks. I don't think... I would have gotten through 2020 without going to the hospital had I not had the story. And I was still trying to learn how to write screenplays. So this was my go-to script to really fortify the skills for mastering the craft of screenplay storytelling. Um, and I was getting feedback. I would send it into this place and that place. I'd get feedback. I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. I'd change it. Oh, that doesn't make sense. I was doing my best to not make it so much like Trevor to the point of people being like, this is just like Trevor. Because in the back of my mind, I always was like, if it's too much like him, I might get in trouble. <laughs> I might get sued. Um, that was like a, a fear in the back of my head. But because I was dealing with so much fear anyway, I was like, no, no, no. I'm parroting it a lot. It's a fictional transformative depiction with satire and commentary. And so I just kept going. And to be honest, perhaps ignorance was bliss for, for not knowing the rules. I don't think I would have. So I don't know what will happen with this script. But if I had known that you're not really supposed to do that to begin with, I would never have written it. But I saw a YouTube video with um, Mariah Carey the other day where she was talking about if she had known the rules for writing music, All I Want for Christmas wouldn't exist. And so that kind of made me be like, okay, don't beat yourself up too much for being very ignorant of the industry and being a novice. So I hope he takes it as a compliment um, because it is this beautiful artistic medicine that was like a sell for me 
It honestly was a balm on my open, wounded heart that saved me from probably bouts of insanity and mental illness. <sighs> and then 2021 came around and we were still locked up. <laughs> I was like, rah! I was so... Like, I was getting to my breaking point. Part of me was a little bit happy in 2020 because I was like, okay, there's no distractions. I had taken one of the master classes from Margaret Attlewood, I think that's her name, and she had said a writer's biggest problem is distraction. And so I was like, if I'm just not distracted by people and their drama, I'll be able to write. Um, because the work I did, I was constantly accessible to people. And so it actually was a blessing to not have a lot of distractions, and so I could hyper-focus on writing. But by the time it was 2021, I was like chomping at the bits. I was like, I gotta get out of here. But what actually happened was I finished writing season two, and then I decided to write a third. So season one is a lot about 2015 all the way up to the pandemic. Then season two is about the pandemic. Because I had to write about that in detail. And then season three, I feel, is probably one of the better ones as far as drama goes. So the first one is very light. It's funny. The second one is comical, but a lot about Black Lives Matter and the pandemic. So still very charged. And then season three... There's not really a lot of commentary on our society. It's more so about the unit of the family and how they'll do anything for one another. And so there is drama with like death. I deal a lot with death in season three. Um, but luckily I'm in charge of writing it so I brought them back to life. Um, but one character doesn't come back which was meant to talk about the huge loss that our society has with over a million people dying of COVID. Oh. I'm just, I'm remembering some of the calls I got and people being so afraid that their family members were going to die and then telling me that they had died and it just, it was hard. So I don't know how other people got through it without a creative outlet. But if you did get through it congratulations I know for me it was one of the hardest things I've dealt with in my entire life because every single pain from the past was drudged up because I had nothing else to do but think about myself and my life and a lot of those memories were painful to me um but I, I love the script. I never thought that I would be able to come up with a whole pilot. <laughs> and then I have eight episodes. And then seven more episodes. And then seven more episodes. And then, yes, <laughs> I wrote out a series Bible for season four. But I was like, mm -mm, I cannot spend another year <laughs> writing out an entire season. So I'm just going to do the series Bible. And I'm going to focus in 2022 on some of my other stories being completed. Unfortunately, that didn't go according to plan because I was distracted by the drama of life now that the pandemic is behind us for the most part. 
and I was out and about working for um, in-person companies rather than at home, sequestered in my bedroom. Um, but here's where I am now with the script. I would like for it to be produced. I think of it as an animated uh, series that talks about black love, talks about parallel lives, aliens. It's meant to be a black family alien sci-fi dramedy sitcom <laughs> with commentary on our politics and our reality. It's, it mirrors a lot of what happened in the last seven years. And actually in season four, I was going to have the main character that's based off of or inspired by Trevor Noah, I was going to have him leave his show. And then Trevor announced that he was leaving. I was like, mm, does life really imitate art? <laughs> um, so here's my highest hope and my deepest desire. I would love for Trevor Noah to read the script. Maybe it would be healing for him because I did write his go-go into the story. But then maybe it'll be too emotional for him and he might be offended. I don't know. All of my greatest fears are coming up again, but I try to I try to shoo them away because I really think that this story could be very helpful to other people. I've gotten so much positive feedback. And I want it to be the visual medicine for us as we really do heal from the pandemic like I feel like 2023 will be the first year where the pandemic is essentially behind us and so I'd like for him to read it heal laugh enjoy be touched by how much he inspired and helped me through the pandemic and he didn't even know me I always tell my, my students and my, my clients, like, you never know how much you just being gives people permission to do the same. There's been so many stories I've heard from people where they were going to take their life and then someone smiled at them. Someone said, hello, how are you? Someone waved at them and there was that spark of connection that made them want to stay. And so I just, I, I would love for this story to help other people get through hard times. I would love for Trevor to produce it and voice the characters. And here's also a whispered wish that I feel I shouldn't be bold enough to speak aloud, but I would love to be the person that voices the voice of the mother for a generation. So Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, Jill from Home Improvement, Harriet from Family Matters. All of these women were mother figures to me and helped me get through life. And I would love for my words to be that to another generation. 
I would love to give voice to the mother archetype for another generation to heal and be nurtured and soothed by. Am I a voice actor? No. But I truly would love to return the motherly energy I received that helped me get through life. I would love to return that to the next generation. And even my peers, because no matter how old you get, you still need your mom. <sighs> so that was hard to get all of that out. But I think I finally did a good job with saying all of it. So I'll leave it at that. Have a very merry Christmas and happy holidays. Have a great new year. Oh, and I did just want to say that I did find out that Trevor Noah is South African and his accent is not European. Uh, that's the main accent I always mix up. So yeah, just want to clarify that. Bye.